welcome listeners to season four, episode nine of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're watching Aliens from 1986. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be as cold as space and just as acidic. This episode will contain discussion on sexual assault, gaslighting, and the failure of the justice system for survivors. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode. We'll see you on the next one. So I made the drink this week. And I watched you make it. And as according to you, it, they gestate within the body and they have concentrated acid for blood. <laughs> so that's what I, I named the drink concentrated acid. Uh, so it's getting fucking hot now. Uh, yeah. It's not summer, but it, it, we, it is spring in our new hellscape world mm-hmm. where weather doesn't matter and it is terrible all the time. Ah, uh, yes. Summer the first. <laughs> what about second summer? Ah, uh, yeah. Summer. Jesus summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I made a really cold drink so we don't die while recording. Yay. And I really want to drink it because it's got a fuck ton of limes. Yeah. That's the acid part. Can I drink it? now yes go ahead ah! oh my god <laughs> it tastes like a coconut sprite <laughs> good yeah it's so yeah. good <laughs> uh so this is a simple drink but you gotta become a patron to know exactly what's in it oh my god it's so i love anything that has like carbonation that's a plus one for me anything that's so citrusy another plus one i mean and the other thing i can't talk about but it's great <laughs> Um, really refreshing for sure. Yeah, I've really just started making drinks where we've got a bag of crushed ice, so I'll just scoop a whole bag or I'll <laughs> just dump the whole bag in one mason jar. Yeah, I'll put a whole bunch of ice in the mason jar and then fill the rest with drink so that it's just constantly cold. Yeah, it's also kind of like feels more like when you get drinks when you're out. Yeah, because they shovel the because I mean, they're trying to save money. Yeah, so. But, but that's good for us, too. Yay. <laughs> but you like it? I love it. I, I could have this like almost every day. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it was simple to make, so it'd be good for later times. But it's still acidic, like their blood. So scary. So scary. Which brings us to the movie. So we watched this week Aliens, which premiered on July 18th, 1986. Fun behind the scenes fact. For some reason, I thought it was April 18th. And I was like, ha ha, gotta do it on the day that the episode's gonna come out. Ha, Char made a mistake. Great. Uh, It's written and directed by James Cameron. (laughs) And it stars Sigourney Weaver as lone survivor and xenomorph specialist Ellen Ripley. Carrie Henn as sole colonist survivor Newt. Michael Bean. Bine? Bean? Mr. Bean. Sure. As tough and gritty Corporal Hicks. Paul Reiser as company man Barf Burke. Lance Henriksen as artificial person Bishop. And Bill Paxton as they're coming out of the walls, man. (laughs) Private Hudson. I thought that was the best descriptor for him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's just Bill Paxton and everything Bill Paxton is in. So it's perfect. There we go. 
this synopsis was written by user Sumitra on IMDb. Thank you, Sumitra. Ellen Ripley, the sole survivor of the alien attack on the mining ship Nostromo, awakens 57 years later when she is found by a salvage vessel. The welcome given to her by the company officials is far from warm since they refuse to believe her discovery of alien existence and revoke her flight officer's license. Much to her horror, Ripley also discovers that the moon LV-426, where her crew had encountered an alien species for the first time, is now colonized by the company. But when all contact from the moon is lost, Ripley is called back into action again as an advisor to a team of tough space marines with a great deal of firepower. To get rid of her current nightmares about the alien creature, Ripley prepares for a final battle with the monsters. And this time, there are hundreds of them out there. And that one is honestly one of the better synopsises <laughs> we've ever had on the show. So good job. To wrap things up, the Marines arrive on the moon and begin searching for survivors. It's clear a battle has taken place and there are signs of acid dripping everywhere, but no aliens to be found. Using motion detectors, the crew eventually find a lone stowaway colonist, Newt, who informs them that they mostly come at night. Mostly. mostly. <laughs> Using trackers that were implanted in the colonists, the Marines are able to find the entire hive of the xenomorphs and begin to be taken out very quickly as so many aliens have had the time to become fully grown. Ripley takes matters into her own hands to save the remnants of the crew. They blockade themselves in a part of the compound, but it doesn't take long for the aliens to find a way in. Meanwhile, company man Burke is a total asshole who tries to get Ripley <laughs> and Newt impregnated in the medical lab, locking them inside. Ripley is able to escape and get help by causing the fire alarm to go off, but not without a close call with two facehuggers. The aliens are in and the crew are dying one by one as Bishop finally gets everything set up to escape. Burke locks every door behind him as he tries to escape himself and eventually it is just Ripley left to find Newt who has been captured before she can make it back to the ship as the colony self-destructs. She has a final battle with the massive xenomorph queen who has been laying all of the eggs. And we hear her yell the famous line, get away from her, you bitch. The kaiju fight is over. <laughs> Ripley is the winner and she makes it onto the ship with Bishop, Newt and one other soldier survivor. You uh, you kept going when you were talking about Burke, right? Yeah. Ugh. Do you know what Paul Reiser's in that you would like? Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> I mean, maybe, probably, what? actually, now that I think about it. Um, he's uh, Dr. Owens in Stranger Things. He's oh, the one yeah. that takes care of Will. Wow. He looks so different in that. I mean, it's been so long. Yeah, he's an old man in, Holy in Stranger Things. That's such a good connection. Good so call. Now, I was like, Paul Reiser, that sounds familiar. I feel like we've watched something recently where everyone was like going ape shit over the fact that Paul Reiser was in it. Uh, I guess that was, that was Stranger that Things. That makes sense now. Oh man, imagine if they get Ripley in next season. Jaw drop. <laughs> Hit me with that trailer audio. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. They cut the power. How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. There's movement all over the place. Five meters, man. Four. Aliens. This time, it's war. 
I like how that entire trailer was basically narrated by Hudson. (laughs) Five meters, four. Cut the power. How'd they cut the power? They're animals, man. (laughs) Coming out of the walls. There's a scaredy fact I didn't include. He says the word man like 45 times or something. Nice. Yeah. I like um I sure all right whatever I mean that's great. What'd you <laughs> it, think of the trailer though? <laughs> it didn't really show anything, but also it kind of showed all that you need to know, which is that it's aliens again. But this time there are more of them. It's aliens, but this time it's war. Ah yes, I fucked up their tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than in space. Nobody can hear you scream. No way, that one's so good. I know. I'm I'm being facetious. I got it. I'm being an uh, asshole. Ah, look at you learning the French. I don't know how you say it. There must be a way to say asshole in French. It's such a prevalent <laughs> phrase for Quebecers. Un uh, asshole. Really? <laughs> Lazy ass Quebecers. <laughs> oh boy. Did you like the trailer? It was fine. I mean, I would still get hype seeing that live like in a movie theater like I would be hyped to see aliens but now I'm like meh whatever especially back in the day when like they probably kept it secret like you wouldn't go on forums and two months before the trailer drops people are like they're working on aliens oh man it's so exciting like it's feasible to live and go to the theater without knowing what movies are coming out yeah and then you're just about to watch uh 101 Dalmatians Oh and then God! A, then a trailer for Aliens pops up, and you're like, "Oh hell yeah!" <laughs> Your kid's scarred for life. <laughs> well, what was the one that um, happened in Quebec? It was like they showed the Annabelle trailer for something. Something yeah. young, yeah, I forget. And then everyone, everyone there got fired. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know. I, I mean, just seeing a series of action events happening in the Alien universe would be hype for me if I was yeah back then. Do you have thoughts? <sighs> yes. Yes, I do. So I don't know how much this controversy exists on our show, like how much people know about my feelings toward aliens on the show. I mean, last episode when I said we were watching this, you verbally went, ugh. Yes. (laughs) But on other podcasts we've been on, I've talked about this after watching Aliens for the first time. And I was like, I didn't really like it. I thought it sucked, especially compared to Alien. And everyone called me names and made fun of me and said I was stupid. So (laughs) truth be told, the time that I saw it the first time was immediately after watching Alien. And I stand by the fact that Alien is a much better film. I think that the reason I hated it so much was I was like, oh, yeah, Alien's awesome. And then Aliens popped up. I'm like, ah, it's so different. And I don't like it. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That being said, without seeing Alien immediately before Aliens this time, Aliens is better than I remember it. Who are you? Who are you? Where's the person I fell in love with? No! <laughs> um, the problems I had were just that Alien was such a well-paced, like, slow stalker movie. Yeah. It was so claustrophobic, and you're so afraid of it because you can't kill it. And they're isolated and there's just a few of them and they're slowly getting picked off. And it's it really comes down to 
Ripley having to like concoct ways of getting rid of it without having guns and weapons and stuff. Yeah. So the like shooting gallery of aliens uh, with a bunch of like annoying meathead soldiers really pissed me off the first time I saw it. It is a very different feeling you get. Like the whole energy of the movie is very different. You're right on the money there. The dialogue still feels worse. (laughs) Bill Paxton, bless his heart was extremely annoying throughout the movie and there weren't really annoying characters in Alien. I feel like you love all of them. And then they die one by one. Exactly. Um, But now that I've seen it again, I really see like the, the conflict of the movie being those soldiers overconfidence and then that being their downfall. And that's the interesting part about the entire movie is the overconfidence and the like uh, bravismo. No, bravit. Bravito? Uh, Bravito. Bravito. Whoa, that's not how you say that. Oh, God. Now I can't think of... Anyways. Yeah, that word. The toxic (laughs) confidence of everybody being the downfall, which is interesting, especially through watching it a second time and knowing what I'm about to come into. I feel like being prepared for it definitely helped. I still feel like it is Ellen's journey, though, like the continuation of her story. It's almost like the soldiers are another enemy for her because they suck. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely like, well, if she did it, then surely us with all our guns and mechanisms and stuff are able to do it. Yeah, I don't have any question besides where they are. How do I get off this chicken shit operation? Other yeah other things <laughs> um so my first point was really just to i don't know quell the conf- controversy that i Ooh. hate aliens i have now downgraded my hate to Meh. understanding yeah okay um i mean the series does degrade over time you're not wrong like the next one also is bad but i was <laughs> one of the people that said three was better than aliens because it just goes back to one alien yeah that, then you're wrong well yeah. we've got to talk about that when <laughs> alien three we watch when i also fuck up when that movie's anniversary yeah. is <laughs> turns out the anniversary for that was april 19th yeah yeah, maybe not so much understanding, but like appreciational understanding. Appreciational. Appreciational understanding. Yep. Anyways, that's my first point. My second point is that it might just be me that I don't have the worldly experience to understand this, but why does every military movie have to have such a thick layer of homoeroticism? I think because ass don't tell and you're basically surrounded by men all the time. And you don't have an outlet. You're going to get a little excited. I mean, I appreciate it as an uh, outside (laughs) observer, but it's like, is 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 that the is the the ultimate show of masculinity or something to make like erotic comments and question your friend's ma- masculinity and stuff like all that all the time? Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not as bad as Predator was. That yeah. was intense. I mean, that was that seemed intentional. <laughs> they knew what they were doing in this one. This one felt more like they were just copying the bravado. That's the word. That's the word. Bravado. Bravado. They were just copying the bravado of. The military, I guess. Maybe it's a straight thing. Maybe it is. The, and no wonder neither of us understand. The best way you can bond with your straight male friends is call them gay ah. and hit on them. But in a gross way, like you're hitting on them, but you know that it's gross. Delicious. Um, at least this time, one of the main people having a pissing contest was a woman. 
Yeah, the the character. I was gonna say the creature of the character of Vasquez was pretty cool. I did like her. Yeah, she's she represents something you rarely see in movies, which is like a confident masculine woman. Yeah, I kind of got a butch vibe from her. Yeah, and the another little security fact that I didn't include is that the that is a common theme in like fan theories, but the actress herself like specifically decided not to make a decision about that and only said that for Vasquez, she would think it was none of anyone's business either way. I mean, you can also just be a jacked woman. Yeah. Like, that. I specifically Maybe chose, she's ace. Maybe. But regardless, I was like, I chose the word masculine because she can be a woman and still have masculine qualities. Like, yeah. Being super jacked, loving giant guns. I loved how she like walked holding <laughs> that machine gun slash flamethrower everywhere. Yeah. It was like a massive dick. Just stretching out <laughs> all the way. Uh, but of course, all the dialogue with her is questioning her femininity. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can never, you gotta A, question all the men's masculinity and then question all the women's femininity. Yeah. Which also, though, she did get one of the greatest lines of the film when he was like, you ever get mistaken for a woman? She's like, no, have you? Yeah. That was good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Which is both of those qualities acting in one. Yeah. One exchange. I'm it's very exhausting watching a bunch of straight men compete with each other. But it's yeah. nice that they threw a different element into that mix to make it more digestible. Yeah. There were other women, too, but they all kind of got killed off pretty early yeah. on. They kind of just got to focus on their job and be good at it. Like yeah. the pilot, yeah. she was really great at her job and she just got to do that without being made fun of or anything like that. And then she died. And then she dies. Fucking aliens, man. I mean, a lot of people die. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just, I hate straight men who ha- have to make it very obvious that they're straight. I have a fuck sis at white guys, man, also. Nice. <laughs> then I will move on to points. my next comment. <laughs> Um, this one's specifically about Ripley. Cause I, yeah, I got, I, I think we both focus on her in different ways in our points. Mm. So my way of focusing on her is how much I like that they still show her like skills and ingenuity in this movie. I mean, she's an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. I there's, love that. There's a common problem with especially sequels where the final girl of the first movie becomes incredibly incompetent in the second movie. Yep. So that they can either kill her off quickly or focus on a new protagonist. Yep. Um, And I really like that they didn't do that with Ripley. Like she's confident right out the bat. uh, And she's clearly talking about all the things that she did in ways that she's trying to genuinely help other people. Um, Yeah. And then uh, throughout the movie, we see that like she's never being utilized properly. She has to fight to even have her opinion be heard. I forget the name of the like guy that's running the operation, the army oh, man. Uh, Ag, uh, Apone. I was trying to spell out his name in my head <laughs> uh, from looking at the uh, subtitles. Apone, yeah. Sergeant Apone. He was awful at running shit. Like once shit hit the fan. Everything oh, are you talking about uh, the guy at the command? Yeah. Post? Oh yeah. no, that was um. Drake Spunkmeyer? I don't know. No, anyways, that was, the man that was I'm in charge. I'm scrolling through all of their names. 
<laughs> the guy that got bonked on the head a little bit. Yeah. He when Ripley first finds out about the where the nest is located and how they have to like not shoot their weapons. She has to explain it multiple times. Yeah. And then it's only when Burke reiterates what she said. Like, oh, yeah, she's right. Yeah. This place will blow up. Do and they he's listen? Like, oh, OK. And then he doesn't even say anything. No, he doesn't explain it properly. And then, of course, all of the meathead soldiers are like, take my bullets away. I'll show you where my bullets are. Yeah. But yeah. And then not only do we see her being underutilized, but then we see the creativity of her when she starts to take control. Every problem that arises, she's the one that handles it, basically. Yeah. Um, like she maybe As it should be. Yeah. She delegates really well, but it's always her idea. And then we also see her learn something. With the gun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even like Hicks is being like, you got to know how to shoot. Just you're a lady and you got to handle her yourself. She like asks and is like, I want to know everything about this gun. And I mean, yes, but that also in a totally uh, besides the point thing I want to say, that part of the movie, I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh they're into each other, maybe. Ooh, he's showing her his gun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and but she did it like any elements of romance never affected her decision making whatsoever. Like, yeah. she never had a situation where it was choose to do the thing that will help or choose the man. It was always just them working together. Try to live. But um, yeah, that was really cool. I liked that. And she admitted that she didn't know how to use it. And rather than be like, I'm scared of it, I don't want to use it. As an engineer, she's like, show me everything about this so that. Yeah, like when he mentions the grenade launcher part or she asks what is that and then he says what it is and he's like but we don't need to worry about that she's like i need to know every inch yeah. of this thing i'm an engineer i need to know if i need to take this thing apart and <laughs> use a mechanic of it that it wasn't intended for and then later she uses the the grenade launcher against the eggs yeah so that was really cool wasting all our dang ammo hey we need to kill as many of those things as we can. Was, the nuke was going to go off. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you want to try to escape with a million little face huggers running after you? Those things are fast. That's true. They probably would have climbed up the elevator. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just like that they didn't uh, like shoehorn her into a role that she wasn't originally in the first movie and actually used her the same way that she was used in the first movie. They further developed her for sure. Yeah. It was very good. This drink is also very good. I'm halfway done and I just want a million of them. Are you ready for the real deal? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. I accidentally put too much bravado into that one. Oh, boy. So this is a threat, I think, from my mom. <laughs> um, it is titled A Podcast About a Podcast About Drinking and Screaming. A podcast about a podcast about that doesn't make any sense. Did she really write that? It should be a podcast about a podcast within drinking and screaming because this segment is her podcast. Anyways, <laughs> the body of the the body of the threat. And this is done in like magazine cutouts. Oh, on a course. cork board with a. Uh, yep. A threatening vibe and to a it. Glue gun. From dissing my favorite beverage to a passive aggressive attempt at taking back a jam comment and then taking back the taking back of the jam comment. That's it. I can't take the abuse anymore. <laughs> I <laughs> I know what the people want and they want the truth. And the truth is even the chunks in a paralyzer taste amazing. <laughs> Gross. 
about mouthfeel, Mom. <laughs> My podcast will focus on your podcast. I will go back to season one, episode one, and I will critique your critique of horror. I will concoct your beverages based on your recipe instructions and critique your critique of what usually is a disgusting drink. <laughs> hey, our will, drinks are good. <laughs> and I will do all this with little to no expertise on horror movies or cocktails. I mean, that's basically how we started. So all the power to you. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Making a podcast is hard, but I wish you all the best, Colleen. So I pre-read this. <laughs> and last night I took my revenge <gasps> immediately. Oh, my God. Char and I were in a horror movie mood. Yes. We watched Don't Listen. Which was amazing, well, by the way. We might do an episode on it, so we got to keep our thoughts on it secret. Just kidding, my bad. And um, <laughs> I thought to myself, I think my mom deserves to be scared. Yeah, she needs uh, she needs to be reminded of what she's getting into because it's not all Midsommars and Critters. Sometimes you got to make your mom watch Mama, which contains all of the things that my mom hates. Like children being scary. Crawling on walls. Crawling on floors, <laughs> crawling on ceilings, crawling downstairs. Very tall, ethereal, ghost-like people. Suddenly contorting towards you. <laughs> and I did it. And so, Mom, if you want to start your own horror movie podcast about a horror movie podcast, you got to get used to watching movies like that. <laughs> she was terrified. It was a very scary movie. It was good. Yeah. I yeah. think I enjoyed it mostly watching my mom's reaction to it. <laughs> So that's my real deal. Said I don't think my mom can handle it. Oh God, this rivalry <laughs> is going to go out of control. Both of you are very stubborn people. <laughs> no, I'm not. She is. <laughs> Anyways. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by American Nightmare Candle Company. Get 10% off your order on their Etsy page with code Drink and Scream, all caps, because we're screaming. <laughs> Bring the horror into your home with a handmade soy wax candle from American Nightmare Candle Company. These scents are inspired by locations iconic to the horror genre, places like the Overlook Hotel, Sleepy Hollow, and Elm Street. Each fragrance combination is carefully curated to transport you into the story, and the catalog is ever-evolving. Available for purchase at Etsy.com slash Nightmare Candle Co. Evil Amy sent us some great pop figures. Now we have the set, the complete set of the Corpse Bride film, including their dog Scraps. Yay. I love this Tim Burton film and these pop figures are super cute. Evil Amy has so many horror-themed pop figures. I just want them all and I know you do too, so don't worry. They ship globally at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com. And as always, this season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support from Mad Lab Distillery. We did not use one of their drinks this week, but we highly advise you to use them every week. You can ha get their premium vodka, their excellent gin, and all of their bitters are great. My Our like go-to drink this summer involves a lot of those components. Slurp. You can get their awesome stuff at madlabdistilling.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinking and screaming.com. Let's go back to the episode, man! Ah.
going to go forward with my points, which number one, you can't trust anyone named Burke. And yes, that is a Grey's Anatomy reference. Yay. <laughs> but I hated his character, <laughs> which is kind of the point, of course. But um, this time around, something that I really noticed watching Aliens was the huge parallels between the company and Amazon. Ooh. And I was that like, company. damn, this is really going towards this <laughs> nihilistic future very quickly. But Burke is such a massive dick. He's a huge liar. He is a total company man. And he has way more spine than a normal or a typical company man would have. He, The fact that he tried to impregnate two women with an alien, one of them is a minor. Yeah. And he was just going to kill the rest of the crew. As soon as I found that out, I would have just shot him right then and there. But they kind of give him like a little trial. A little bit. And then they get interrupted right after they decide that they were going to just shoot him. I just fucking would have shot him. They also then (laughs) let him like wander around without keeping ties on him. Well, because the aliens arrive and they're like, oh, my God, fend for yourselves. It's just bad all around. He's an awful person. And he's such a gaslighter. Oh, my God. Even to the end of like his fucking death, he's trying to manipulate everybody into believing his version of the truth and whatever. Barf. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. I hate cishet white guys. Yeah. I hate him. If it makes you feel better, we didn't see him die. Yeah, you don't deserve that death. So he was probably alive until the nuke went off. Well, actually, another fun fact. Oh, God. Is there a deleted scene? Yes. Oh. Uh, where Ripley actually finds him while she's trying to find Newt mm-hmm. uh, right as the countdown is happening. And he's already been impregnated and is like in the nest. He's like, please help me. And she gives him a grenade. Nice. Yeah. That's nice of her. Yeah. I wonder if they deleted it because they didn't want to show that side of her. It made it. Uh, the reasoning was that it seemed too fast for him to have been impregnated because Newt is, is saved as well. And she's not impregnated either. Yeah, but she's grabbed like 10 minutes later. Yeah. And she was just about to get face hugged. Yeah. So although the face huggers last for about like a few hours based on um, the first movie. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right, what's your next point? My analysis of this film is that it's really about like the aftermath of rape and the police and the justice systems that fail survivors by not believing them and do fucking fuck all for them. Mm, Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Ripley is just left in the dust as the sole survivor of the Nostromo. Her flight license is taken away from her. And then that is what is used against her to make her do what they want by going with the Marines as a expert or whatever when they realize that they fucked up. But again, I'm like how much of the company had to have known that this happened. They did that on purpose. No. Um, Yeah. I think they probably knew about it and we're covering a lot of it up because Burke wouldn't be there if they didn't know the aliens were there. Yeah. But again, they were confident that the big military people could handle themselves. And then they did want to just have one person be impregnated. And I come think they're going to bring their idea was to bring the two living face huggers back. Oh, OK. Yeah. But then when they when she was going to tell on him, he decided to take matters into his own disgusting hands. There was only one way that he could get it back to Earth. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's uh 
That's a good analysis, too, because it is like nobody believes her. It's the first like 20 minutes of the film is her telling her story over and over again to a boardroom of people. It's very clinical. Yeah. Which we I don't want to like trigger people, but like I had police come to our apartment to like go over my story with me. And Kelly was there. And it was basically the fucking same. Yeah. And like the questions over and over that you've already answered and like, oh, la la. Yeah. Stupid. Hate it. And it was very well done in this film. <laughs> it is just like that. It's a good thing she managed to get the robe on because they probably would have asked what she was wearing if she showed up in her uh, underwear from the first movie. Snap, 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 snap. Yeah. Uh-huh. And but- then even once she's on the mission, people for a really long time don't take her seriously, especially the male soldiers. Like she does her briefing and gets cut off before she even gets to talk. Talk. I'm American now. <laughs> Before she even gets to talk about the xenomorphs' real strengths and weaknesses, yeah. they just like don't fucking care. They even say like it's all on the discs. Make sure you watch the discs, and then probably nobody did it. And then they all die. Maybe Hicks did because he's supposed to be like the dream boat. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I just thought that that was really interesting, and um, yeah. Yeah. I've read that it's not at all what James Cameron wanted the kind of analysis to be. It's more a war movie. and Yeah, like, it's supposed to be like an uh, allegory for Vietnam, yeah. basically. But I like my version. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you make a movie and you accidentally do something you didn't intend to. Yeah. Art is in the eye of the beholder. And then my last point, because I'm burning through these because I got a fuck ton of scaredy facts. <laughs> but I did want to call out that there are some really interesting women in this film but it barely passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> Not that that's like the end all be all of feminism. I mean, in the film. Bechdel test is literally the baseline. Yeah. Like, <laughs> everyone who's like, oh, yeah, it's the best movie and it passes the Bechdel test. It's like, that's the first gate you have to get through. Yeah. So this movie does because uh, Ripley and the Xenomorph Queen have a lovely exchange of get away from her, you bitch. That's do, it. Do, but does the Xenomorph have a name? The queen. Is it? <laughs> I think that Xenomorph's supposed to be given a name. Maybe there's some conversations with Newt, too. I don't Angela. know. Angela. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, her and Newt do talk about, like, her mom. Like, her, my mom used to tell me that there were no monsters in the world. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Why do people say that and all that? Well, usually it's true. And they weren't talking about a man. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wanted to call out that, like, I thought that the alien queen was really cool. She had she was kind of very fleshed out, even though she doesn't speak, really. And I guess that's true. It has to be a conversation. Yeah. So my whole alien queen joke really failed. But the standoff with her when she's first discovered by Ripley and all the eggs are there and Ripley, like, threatens the eggs with the flamethrower in order to be able to leave and how the queen, like, makes her two henchmen babies back off. Yeah, I thought that was super cool and kind of like fleshed her out as a bit like humanized her almost. And then she immediately turned on Ripley. Well, Ripley burned. Ripley did the first thing. No, the the egg was opening. I don't think the queen did that. I think they're a hive mind. So you can decide. You think the eggs decide when to open? Yeah. I think that the queen was like, yeah, I'll let you leave. Okay, just don't hurt the eggs. And then as Ripley was leaving, she's like, all right, one of you eggs open. Open up. Oh. And then Ripley was like, I see what you're doing. Interesting. I kind of took it as Ripley was leaving and then Ripley was like, fuck it. This is too dangerous. Mm. Me? Mm. It was after the egg started opening, though. So even if the queen didn't command it, like 
Ripley didn't want to take that the chance. The threat was there for sure. Yeah. And then there's Ripley, of course. Amazing. Newt is like the lone surviving colonist and she's super smart. There's a line about how the military is worried about making it 17 hours or something. 17 days. Yeah. And then Ripley's like, she survived for so much longer than that. And she's a fucking eight year old. So get it together. Yeah. You got (laughs) Hudson on your side who can't shut up. So. And then Vasquez, which we already talked about how she was like a butch woman. She's a soldier. She's very badass, but she doesn't follow orders. So she's kind of stubborn, too. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Lots of ladies. Mm hmm. Yeah. And that's it for me, which means it's time for Whispers from, Whispers from Beyond. And today, I mean, normally this is where we get to shout out our listeners who give us reviews. We like to share the love. Thank you all for listening, that sort of thing. But we did a giveaway this week and we have randomly selected our winner. So drum roll. Congratulations to Roxanne B. You've won a set of horror bath bombs, some Mad Labs bitters and some drinking and screaming swag as well as some other extra special goodies so your prize pack will be shipped this week and remember everybody if you want a special shout out on the show you can always review us on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts you can tag us on Twitter in your deep thoughts Mm. and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com but Roxanne congratulations that should be coming pretty soon congratulations man (laughs) it's coming in the mail it's coming in the goddamn mail man What the hell is that, man? There's some sort of book with a goddamn face on it, man. It's time to open the Reconomicon, man. Man, I can't believe we got Bill Paxton to do that one. That was pretty cool. He was on Cameo. <laughs> Every time I try to do Bill Paxton in this movie, I accidentally slip into the uh, teen from The Simpsons. Oh, man, my manager is going to kill me. (laughs) What's your recommendation? I mean, mine has to be Starship Troopers from 1997. It's another movie about the American military sensibility and uh, being their downfall. uh, And when they try to fight giant aliens, they fuck up and fail horrendously. Ah. That's uh, Starship Troopers from 1997. It's also (laughs) got Neil Patrick Harris in it. Nice. And one of my favorite scenes growing up, which was a co-ed shower scene. Hard so when wind. we had that movie on VHS, I watched that scene a lot. <laughs> Interesting. My recommendation, I thought a lot about this. Mine is Life from 2017, which features Vancouver actor Ryan Reynolds. But it's a bunch of it's a group of three astronauts that discover life on Mars. And it is, in fact, a horror film. So you can imagine that that life is not very friendly. And that's Life from 2017. That means it's time for Scaredy Facts. This is the part of our podcast where we invite you into our home, into our bed and under the sheets. After we have just watched a horror movie and we are too startled to go to sleep, we will open up IMDb. <laughs> so tri- startled. Too, too spooked. <laughs> we'll open up IMDb, check out its trivia and learn just a little facts about behind the scenes to make it seem more like a movie and not like a horrible experience that real people had to live through. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I did the scaredy facts this week. So starting with a budget of an estimated 18.5 million. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a lot of aliens. It's a lot of aliens, man. Oh, God. Opening weekend in the United States, they made 10.1 million. So they almost made it back in one weekend. And the cumulative worldwide gross. Oh, boy. $131.1 million. Wow. That's so much money. It's been a while since we've had that staggering amount of money. I think that's more than the cost of the Nostromo. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, let's power through these. So like most movies, this wasn't shot in sequence, but something that James Cameron did for added realism was that he filmed the scene where we first meet the colonial Marines last. And that was so that the camaraderie of the Marines was more realistic because the actors had been spending months filming together. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a special edition version of this movie. And in both the standard and special edition versions, the 15 minute countdown at the end of the film is indeed exactly 15 minutes. Huh. That's pretty cool. That's something that is like, I love when that happens in films. Whenever it's not the case, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, you can really feel it. Sigourney Weaver's Best Actress Academy Award nomination for this movie was the first ever for an actress in a role in an action movie. Yay. Woo. Did she get it? No, I don't think she won, but she was nominated. Still, that's cool. Al Matthews, who plays a Marine sergeant in this film, was in real life the first black Marine to be promoted to the rank of sergeant in the field during service in Vietnam. Ooh. I thought that was really interesting. Especially because it's a Vietnam analogy. Yeah. Makes sense. The full-size queen puppet was actually too big to fit in the (laughs) elevator. So for that shot where she was seen there, her tail was removed and the back of the elevator still had to be opened up to accommodate this huge prop. So they had to use like smoke effects and dark lighting and uh, they actually put a black curtain in to hide that. It's cool. I mean, it added to the like dark and then a face comes out of it. Yeah. And she, I mean, it was scary. It was good. And I don't really talk about that, but there are a lot of, or maybe I do it in my final thoughts, but although this is like an action movie, there were a lot of elements of me going, ooh. Yeah. The queen was a little bit weird for me. It didn't seem like it balanced properly. It's tiny little spindly legs. Didn't look like it should be able to hold up the body. Yeah, that's fair. Like the arms were huge. And the body was huge, and then legs were like tiny and skinny, and weren't even didn't even look like they were put in the right spot. Kind of like spiders. Yeah, but like it didn't seem like there was enough like balance, I guess, on Mm. each side. I don't know. It just kind of that kind of threw me out of it. Was seeing the the like running of the alien queen. Yeah. The speaking of the the alien screams are baboon shrieks altered in post. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. This is a long one. Sigourney Weaver had initially been very hesitant to reprise her role as Ripley. She had rejected numerous offers from Fox Studios to do any sequels, fearing that her character would be poorly written and a subpar sequel could hurt the legacy of Alien from 1979. However, she was so impressed by the high quality of James Cameron's script, specifically the strong focus on Ripley, the mother-daughter bond between her character and Newt, and the incredible precision with which Cameron wrote her character that she finally agreed to do the film. She was, of course, disappointed when Cameron had to shorten the movie and cut the scene where Burke brings Ripley the news of just missing the death of her character's daughter, mm. which totally would have like helped with the whole bond with Newt because her daughter had just died. Yeah. But it actually was later reinstated or restored in the special edition. Oh, man, we should have watched that one. 
I didn't realize that there was a special yeah. edition when we were watching. Yeah, that uh, that works too with uh, the Alien Isolation game because you actually play as Ripley's daughter looking for Ripley. Yeah, I think her name's Elizabeth. I really need to watch or play that again. Yeah, I tried to-, to for a bit. And it got so frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> It's kind of hard. It's one of those games where when I was a kid, I would play things and it would get too hard and I'd just get my brother to, to beat a level for me. I mean, it, now you can get me to beat a level for you. Yeah, Kelly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's cool because it's uh, after the events of Alien, you go out and her daughter is also an engineer. And so all of the techniques and stuff she uses are very similar to Ripley's. And she looks so much like uh, Sigourney Weaver. It's really cool. Yeah. But just different enough, just like a real daughter. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez, actually did the chin up curls and behind the head pull ups at the request of director James Cameron to establish Vasquez as the tough woman in the platoon. But I also have a bad thing. Yeah. So I already told Kelly about this, but I didn't know that this film contains brown face. Yeah. So Jeanette Goldstein is not Hispanic. Makeup was used to make her skin appear darker. She also dyed her hair black and wore dark brown contact lenses. Yay. Yeah. They wanted representation, but didn't want to actually find any. Yeah. So they constructed some. Yeah, not great. <sighs> not great. When filming the scene, I'm just gonna, yeah, <laughs> I only have a few more. When filming the scene with Newt in the duct, Carrie Hen, who played Newt, kept deliberately blowing her scene so that she could slide down the vent again <laughs> because she said that it was basically a slide that was three stories tall. James Cameron finally dissuaded her by saying that if she completed the shot, she could play on it as much as she wanted. So she did, and he kept his promise. Nice. But I love that. A, an actor, a kid actor just fucking <laughs> shit up so that they can ride down this vent again. Oh, no, I said my line bad. I guess we got to do the slide again. Whoopsie. <laughs> In the shooting script, the scene where Vasquez asks Pharaoh about Ripley was supposed to take place during a co-ed shower scene aboard <gasps> the Sulaco. The idea of Marines of both sexes showering together was to show gender equality within the Marine Corps. But according to the actors, at the last moment, the decision to film it was left to the actresses involved who weren't too enthusiastic about the idea. So the scene was rewritten to occur in the locker room instead. I mean, that's good because the makeup would have fucking washed off Vasquez. I do love that it allowed like so much in film. You see women being taken advantage of and not feeling the strength to say no because of the industry. So I'm glad that they were able to do that change. Yeah, exactly. But this would have been my favorite movie back in the day if that scene did exist. (laughs) Then there wouldn't be any controversy at all. No controversy at all. (laughs) It's time for... Carfax. Great. How are we going to get out of here, man? (laughs) The car blew up. So I have three Carfax and it's kind of hard for me to describe what the cars are before I say what they're called, because they all kind of just look like space cars. (laughs) So um, the one that's outside that lets the the astronauts or the Marines like roam around on the moon was a made for movie vehicle called the LV 426 Rover. Nice. 
the car slash, I don't know, tank that Ripley rides in when she's going to save all the Marines from yeah. the first alien attack is called the Hunslet ATT-77. Nice. And then the last one is this like little yellow truck that was used in the... Like the like main the base area. Yeah. yeah. And that is a 1978 Blah Pathmaster 42. Nice. But I have more car facts. What? What? The armored personal carrier slash APC is a modified tow truck that British Airways used for towing airplanes around at Heathrow. The only trouble was that the truck they purchased weighed 75 tons. By stripping out most of the lead used in its construction, they were able to remove about 35 tons. It was still so heavy that the construction team had to had to reinforce several floors to carry the vehicle's weight. And then last but not least, many businesses actually wanted to buy power loaders as forklifts. Nice. Sadly, none were to be bought since it's a combination of a stuntman sitting in the loader behind Ripley, moving the limbs, wires holding it up, and even some miniature work. Yeah, although they are, (laughs) I think somebody actually constructed something similar recently. I think I saw something coming out of Japan or something. Ooh, that's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't have gun facts? They named all of their guns in intense fashion. I'm very sorry. I don't have any gun facts for you. Every aspect of their gun was described <laughs> almost pornographically. <laughs> they were in love with those guns. They were. Yeah. There's so much lime in this drink. I'm in heaven. I'm almost done now. But yet there is still ice. So it is just like space. So cold. Yeah. In space, no one can hear you melt. <laughs> But that's all my scaredy facts, which means it's time for final thoughts. Uh, My final thought is I'm glad that the controversy's over. Anyone listening to this who got mad at me for not liking aliens, are you happy now? I (laughs) kind of like aliens. Still think alien is better. (laughs) My final thought originally was that I know that Kelly hates this movie, but I still really enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Timely. (laughs) I'm glad that you like it a bit more now. I do feel like it's definitely more action slash less horror than the first one, but it still had a lot of great horror themes, imagery, icons like I had there's a lot of tension in the film and I thought that was really well done and uh, there's still a few jump scares which was good yeah yeah well that's been Aliens a movie about Bill Paxton talking like this the entire time man next week we'll be watching our Patreon I can't do it (laughs) (laughs) it all comes from the diaphragm (laughs) (laughs) next week we'll be watching our Patreon voted film of course it's a classic it always is when I throw one of them in there Amityville Horror from 1979. And remember, always scream responsibly. Bye! Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.